Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Apple actually ruined marketing. I think that they improved it because we all love Apple because Apple is Apple. I think that why they ruined it is because everybody tried to be Apple and therefore everything became polished, the same style, the same mood, the same direction. Actually, think different became think the same and everybody else missed the message. What's up, everybody? I'm here with the legend himself, Alfred Samba. He is the man. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, he's crushing on LinkedIn. He's worked for Jim Shargan. Now he launched his own business. You guys got to go check it out. He'll tell you more about it today. But I'm excited to chat. What's up, Alfred? Hi, how's it going, Daniel? Like, I always love being able to chat to you. It seems like uh, they always talk about the fact that your digital friends become your real friends. And we've obviously met both online and offline. And it feels like I'm just like at a buddy's house and about to chop it up about some cool nerdy shit. I love it. I love it. Could you give everybody a background of who you are and then we can jump in to the topic today? So my name is Alfred Samba. To cut to like the relevant part of like my background, I, I joined Gymshark back in 2015. Uh, I was the 24th global office employee at the time. And uh, uh, my, my, my challenge was to help Gymshark scale its uh, social media and community efforts. So the brand was already brilliant at doing that. They already had a million followers, about a million followers when I joined. It was an eight million pound brand. It was about 24 employees, as I mentioned. And uh, it was almost like the cultural darling of the UK, especially within the, uh, the Midlands where we were based. And um, my job, no pressure, was to, to take it off the original team and, and learn about what it is that was special about the brand, put it in a bottle and scale. When you join a business where the CEO and founder, including the team in the finance team, get social, the pressure was pretty high. The, the bar was set and uh, it was down to me not to drop the ball. And thankfully I didn't. And, and seven years later, I left the brand from 24 employees to 1,000 employees from an 8 million pound brand to a 2 billion pound brand and from 1 million followers to 20 million followers. So we, had, we left a really great legacy. And I guess the, the next chapter of my journey was saying, okay, cool, we were able to do that for one brand. Can we do that with more brands? Can we support other challenger brands that exist within the industry? Hence why Butterfly Effect was born. But uh, I, I guess the key uniqueness about how we do it is we also recognize that within the creative space that diversity was not prioritized. I always felt that being in the ideas business, the best businesses within the creative space are those that have diversity of thought. And it seems that people are missing a trick there. So we thought, actually, let's create an agency that people or a creative house that people actually love and want to work with. And let's build it off the back of uh, bringing diverse superheroes together. And uh, that's the journey that we're on right now. I love the diversity part of it because I think... You could tell with a lot of marketing campaigns out there that there wasn't a diverse set of people at the table just because it's socially not aware of like the current state. But I want to talk about 
how you've seen community evolve, how you've seen culture evolve. What are your thoughts about the current state today? And going back to the whole conversation of diversity, I think that it's that. It's that the world is becoming more interconnected. Brands have a bigger platform to scale and grow. And it's important to make sure that the teams that are driving that brand reflect the world that you're, or the consumer that you're trying to attract, right? Or the various number of consumers that you're trying to attract. And I feel like that's a, it's gone from being the moral thing to do. It's the right thing to do to make sure that you can get people from different backgrounds to work on some, uh, some challenging projects. But actually it's become essential because it's very, very difficult to stand out, especially when you're considering like updating technology with AI, et cetera, et cetera. You have to have your EQ on tap because IQ is failing. So ultimately, I believe that one of the, the major trends that I'm seeing in the current state of before a brand even thinks about community, it's about making sure that the people that you have that are driving the brand reflect the community that you're looking to attract because you need to be able to engage in an authentic way. If you have to speak to experts to figure out ways to speak to your own audience, you've already lost. So because there's a lot of things away from the idealistic expectation of the community, such as the pain points that you can actually draw on to be able to set yourself apart. I'll give you an example. At Gymshark, our Twitter page was actually became really famous because we talked about the, the moments within fitness that people don't talk about. Like when you leave your headphones, when you get to the gym, and then you want to go all the way back home and not have the session, or when people are yelling too loud in the gym. We're not just focusing on the toxically positive element of the gym. We're also talking about the cultural nuances that you wouldn't get unless you actually go to the gym. And it helps to have people in your team that do that and have different perspectives, attitudes, and relationships with the gym to be able to provide a full package. So that, that's one of the major things that we saw is that the need to be human or the need to connect on a more specific level is super, super important. Another thing that I'm seeing is we're going away from this like um, mass market, let's drive to mass followings, to people going to more like niche topics. I read somewhere, or I'm not a big reader, I either use Blinkist or watch a documentary or watch something on YouTube. But uh, this is something like humans were only made to connect with like seven people as part of a tribe or a number like that. And the fact that we were a one person would have an audience of like a million people plus is actually like goes against our like human nature. So it actually wasn't very sustainable. What we're seeing is that platforms like, like, like Discord or platforms like Be Real that are allowing people to connect on a more niche level based on interest or based on personal connection are starting to thrive right now, right? So, so instead of like people focusing on mass market, you're better off focusing on the niche that you want to be a part of and how you can quickly make your way up as the thought leader or the spokesperson of that community, which is why uh, I think that recently I've been quoted saying that you can't own a community, you're merely renting them because ultimately you're, you're there to join a community, showcase that you understand that community, and then eventually build trust to the point where they deem you as the thought leader or the face of that community. But then you have to keep on it Otherwise, if somebody else is able to take you off your throne, there will be the new recognized face, right? You've seen that in every single industry that exists. Brands come and go, and different people come in to fill in the spots. 
Yeah, I actually was talking to someone yesterday, the other day and on my podcast and it was saying customer loyalty is a myth. And it, it really is a myth because what you're saying about community is they're not loyal to the community. They're only loyal to the benefits that the community gives. If you're providing, if they're loyal to you as a person, they're only loyal to the point that they're getting their need. They might stay longer because they love you as a person. But over time, if there's a better community out there or someone's offering something better, they're going to leave. And that's why people need to get over the facade that like we have the loyalist customers and stuff. You just have to keep improving, making it better, staying in the community. Because I think what you just said about rented, that's even when people say they have an owned audience online, like just because you own emails just means you have direct distribution, but doesn't mean that people are going to care. And have attention it's like marriage right you work hard to get to the point where you find the person that you love and then you get married you don't then stop right <laughs> right or if you do we know what happens there you have to keep putting in the effort every single day you have to keep learning every single day you have to be keep romancing every single day you have to keep adding value every single day it doesn't end like how movies have taught us the once you get married, that's the end. And then there's no point telling the story beyond that point. Actually, the art of community building and staying as the recognized face or the go-to authority for a community is how hungry you are to stay in that relationship. And that's what I would advise with a lot of brands. Once you get there, work just as hard to stay there. Yeah. And also one thing that you said at the beginning that I really love, and I think it's on the diversity part, but I think it's a little bit of like content teams, social teams, community teams, expertise is key for B2B and B2C. And what I mean by expertise, B2C is a, a little different, but expertise meaning is meaning like that person actually gets the topic you're talking about. Like you were a great fit for Gymshark because you go to the gym a lot. And Ben is a great, great example because he is a gym shark, I guess. So you could say gym rat, gym shark. But you have to know all those little nitty gritty things of what it actually means to be in the gym to be able to do that. Same with marketing. If you're running a have a software marketing to marketers, you need to have a, someone on the team who understands marketing. Or if you have a if you have an audience marketing plumbers, you need someone who has been a plumber. Otherwise, you just guessing and the day-to-day this like you said is so nuanced that a plumber will know all the annoying things that happens with a toilet you don't know all the annoying things because you're not doing it day-to-day so that point of expertise or diversity or having those voices that understand and then there's also what you said before is just because you have one experience in the gym, there's also other people who have different other experiences in the gym. And also there's also g- different gyms out there. There's the equinoxes of the world. And then there's the CrossFit gyms that are outdoors. There's this gym and all of them have different nuances. So like you need people who have been to the equinox, the people who've been to the CrossFit, the people who have been to the small gym, the big gym, the medium gym. They're all different nuances for everything. Those are all inspirations for content, right? People doing like um, memes saying, what type of gymmer are you? 
that is all a demonstration of understanding the culture. I often say that the, the best observers of culture uh, and people should actually pay more attention to these people are comedians. Comedians basically just say what happens in real life or what we think in our heads out loud. And we find it funny because it feels like they've just like entered our brain and they know those little awkward moments that exist. And that is why funny is a go-to almost like a tactic to be able to get uh, an emotional connection between a brand and a person. You, you hear about brands in the UK, such as Ryanair, Aldi, all these brands, they, they, they hit with humor because they understand the audience to a T and they understand how to include that into that content. So for the most part, we, we always wanted to make sure that our content evoked emotion. The issue is, is that I actually do believe, and this will sound like a controversial statement, that Apple actually ruined marketing. I think that they improved it because we all loved Apple because Apple is Apple. I think that why they ruined it is because everybody tried to be Apple and therefore everything became polished, the same style, the same mood, the same direction. Actually think different became think the same and everybody else missed the message. And that is why brands that are able to say, okay, do you know what? That's the Apple route. We're going to take the fundamentals of what Apple did and actually embody it in a modern day context. And, and, and that is what the message of Think Different is all about. And that is what people were missing from the Apple approach. But then they always see that marketers copy, copy each other, right? People understand that best practices, when something becomes a best practice, that means it's been used for a lot, a lot, a lot. So that's the time to start stop doing. But for example, like if you go back to Apple in 1977, they wrote like a, their marketing f philosophy. And like their marketing philosophy is like empathy. So they need to truly understand their needs better than any other people. Focus, they need to do a good job with those things they decide to eliminate the unimportant opportunities. So focus on what works. And then impute, which they say is people do judge a book by its cover. So we may have the best product, the highest quality, best software in the world, but they need to present it in a, an aligned manner. So experience. So those three things is the foundation. If you're a good marketer, you take the foundation and say like, hey, I need to get empathy in my marketing. I need to be focused, be prioritized on my things. And I need to create the best experience because people judge a book by its cover. If you take that, that's the foundation of Apple's marketing. It's not all the cool things they do. They just taking, they understand their customers better than anybody else. They have the best experience than anybody else. And they are more focused than anybody else. And that's, if you do that in your marketing, you're going to succeed. Not if you copy Apple. That's the blueprint and it's hiding in plain sight. I think that often than not, people get lazy. They just look at the output. They don't actually look at the message behind it. For a marketeer that gets it, when you have those three breakdowns, that's the blueprint, right? You've given me the secrets and that's all I have to know for the rest of my career. And now what I have to do is contextualize that per brand, right? Mm -hmm. And also contextualize that based on the year that we're living in 
and what content forms of attention right now. What, what Apple basically did is looked at how everybody was advertising at the time versus what people were paying attention to, which at the time was films, storytelling in long form, and they made that advertising that. But now that everybody is doing that, the reason why memes and stuff was working is because whilst every marketeer was doing this, everybody was actually getting their attention through the memes in that space. And the marketeers that were able to actually just market in the year that we lived in were able to capitalize on that. And that's basically the, uh, the, the constant chase that happens. It's marketing in the year that we live in and doing that quicker than your competitors. Yeah, and if you even go down to even the basic of everything, the first goal of marketing out of anything is to get attention, like to get someone's attention. And that's all the things we said is to get someone's, all the things you said is, okay, to how do you get attention? You need to create on platforms where attention lies, where your audience attention lies. You need to create in formats where people are consuming things. You need to create things that people are relatable to your audience. Like you were talking about the gym. You need to create things that people can consume. And you need to create things that are better than what the market is out there because you're competing for people's attention. It's simple to say, but it's harder in practice because you have to continually get into the community and understand your audience and then also have people on your team who can understand your audience deeply. So I think... People forget those type of things, but you just got to follow where attention's going. And that's the the key to marketing. And then also find places where attention is cheaper and easier to get than anybody else. Yeah. In my, as you were speaking, I almost like had a picture in my brain. It's like, would you go to an empty road where there's nobody there? Or would you go to a place where there's like 60,000 people walking past, right? Obviously, the answer is simple. You go to the place where 60,000 people are going. But that could be a stadium, or that could be a park. If you're going to a 60,000-person stadium, you're, you're expected to pay a ticket. So there's a cost associated with that. But if you can get the same level of attention or the same quality of attention in a park where you don't have to pay anything, I'll choose to go to the park. So it's all about just taking a step back, just decoding all these like crazy marketing terms into like human-like qualities and just like acting accordingly. But I do believe that often than not, especially when you think about like what's taught at university, et cetera, et cetera, people don't decode what's happening. We speak about it at a very like specialist jargon level and people get sometimes caught up in the level, in, in, the, in the jargon, which is why people don't often miss when the uh, the context is shifting or when something new happens it's because they get so stuck in the wording and the surface level, almost like uh, headlines that they forget when the park is becoming the stadium. It all comes down to reverse engineering things for your brand. And when you thinking about reverse engineering things for your brand, you can't take what other people are saying word word by word because a lot of like me and you come from a biased place like we come from what what happened to us as marketers so if i say that this is what happened to me 
figure out what why it happened to me and see if that why the why actually fits your why because if it doesn't fit your why you shouldn't listen to some of my marketing advice is applicable to a lot of people some of my marketing advice isn't and it's just because i come from a biased place because i've done b2b marketing alfred comes from this big b2c landscape of gym shark and stuff like that we all have our different nuances but i don't think the principles of what we're talking about are different it's just the the nuances are different of how we do things. Yeah, which is why, going back to the whole conversation around butterfly effect is, when you're building the team, yes, we can talk about diversity, we can talk about all of that, but you have to have people that understand those fundamentals. That's the entry bar. And then the context that they bring in depends on that background. So whilst I know the fundamentals, I am not enough to be able to provide a full service or a full offering because I know that I'm compromised. There's areas of how to apply, there's, there's ways of applying that in niches or for particular brands or particular industries that I am not aware of. So you have to be able to at least connect at the philosophy level. And then it's all about saying, okay, cool. Now what context or background do you bring in? Or allow us to be able to do this at a high level because it's just a place that you're familiar with. And, and, and I just feel like a lot of the, this all goes back to self-awareness as well as a marketeer. You have to be able to know what you're good at. You have to be able to know what you bring to the table. You have to be able to know the industry that you've come from. And then for you to be able to provide a, a full service offering or to be able to make sense to more people, you need to bring more people on board that specialize in industries that you're not great at. I love how you said that. And that's why I think Going back to the root of everything you said at the beginning is it all starts with one, having people who understand the nuances on your team. Everything comes back to people at the end of the day. And I think I know for a fact that either you get that or you hire someone on your team that has done it before. They don't have to be the head of content, but you just need those perspectives in the room with you. Or you bring in people who are customers or audiences and have these roundtables with them, pick their brain, understand the nuances. But the superpowers are the teams that have people who understand the nuances of the audience in the room daily. So I think that's my biggest like takeaway from this, even though there's like follow the principles and stuff, is a lot of people forget when they're hiring, they look at, okay, here's the job description, but you never see the job description saying like, you never see people actually looking for people, at least especially on content teams that have done this before or deeply understand the audience. I don't see it a lot when people are hiring for at least content type roles or social type roles or community type roles. I spoke to somebody that had a, uh, a degree in comedy and they made a joke that, oh, they won't be able to use it. And I was like, what in the future, especially with how we're going with AI and, and the fact that things are becoming a lot more structured, you have, we'll have a lot more polished work. But then people that understand uh, modern day marketing recognize that there's beauty in the imperfections. There's, there's a lot of things that happen when it comes to like the understanding of human emotion and when to hit it at certain points and and what phrases, or let's say, for example, we used to purposely 
write things in lower caps on our Twitter. We would do these just so that people understood that there's a person behind the account. And those are all subtle things that I think that people often overlook, that people like the idea that they're speaking to a human. And ultimately, what will happen is, as soon as everyone thinks that as long as all of our content is at a high level, or all of our strategies are sound, then that's what we need to do to win. But then then you're all the same, and then what I would do as a marketer is I'll go imperfect and make mistakes on purpose. And then at least you know you can trust us because we're all humans. So people often forget that it's all about zigging when everybody else is zagging. And often than not, when the trend is that everybody does this, you find out what everybody, the open space or the open goal that exists, and you just like attack that shit. Everything comes down to do is we're connecting with people and how do you connect with people? And that's why you're seeing the rise of creators, human-led brands, faces behind brands, because people are craving human connection. They're, they don't trust institutions as they, they once did. Institutions, and you could see this how people buy today, especially in B2B. People used to buy because they used to trust Gartner. They used to trust blog posts. They used to trust all the stuff. Now what they do is they go out, text their marketing friends. They go on social media to to talk to people. They look at reviews from real people that have done this before. They go on TikTok and search the product on TikTok to see what, pe- what people are saying about it. People buy differently because social has opened up the world to people to be able to connect to people at scale and institutions are becoming less and less trustworthy because they've done things in the past that have led them to be untrustworthy so that's why influences humans creators humans behind brands like gymshark does this really well with having humans behind brands and do the one cool thing is like even having mannequins of real life customers in their store like all those little touches that people don't see are happening because people are thinking about humans and how humans care about things and how to connect with humans on a real level, not at a scale level. You could say that within platforms, it's how almost like um, widely adopted a platform or or a wave is, for example, influencer marketing or paid social or social media when it comes to like influencing purchase decisions. We we all know, and this was like marketing 101, that uh, I think it was like 77% of people are more likely to buy something that is recommended by somebody else. Uh, It starts off with like it being your friend in real life that tells you, I went to the store, it's great, go to it. It's basically just that. And what what happens is at scale, I I always used to say that influencer marketing always existed. And what it is, is it, it's, it's a constant chase between where trust is versus satisfaction. So at first, you'll have, let's say, for example, back in the day when music stars were the top influencers. When a music star told you, I love McDonald's, and then you went to McDonald's and McDonald's was actually great, that was deemed as a viable source of influence, right? That's why it worked. Because when that person, or if that person said, I was able to jump higher because of these sneakers. And then even though you may have not been able to jump higher, but you had that emotion of feeling like the athlete, 
that was deemed as a satisfaction that met the trust, right? Now, what happens is people abuse that. They'll start to therefore give recommendations based on the people that are paying them the most, right? And then slowly you're seeing the trust diminish because the satisfaction's going down because that connection is misaligned. So that's what happened with sports stars initially and like music, movie stars, music stars, sports stars, influencers now, especially when you're going into the macro scale, people can tell that brands are just on a conveyor belt and you're all we're doing is making the influencer richer. So therefore, the trust is going down, satisfaction is going down, and now the place where you find it is with micros. And then as soon as that's lost, we're going to be on to the next thing. So that's the reason why a lot of like audiences are going on, on, on TikTok instead of going on Google, because you can get AI to write about a great review. You can get people to falsify a great review on Google. But when you go on to TikTok and you can see the video of how the restaurant looks, you can see the experience that the people are experiencing. You can feel like you're there. Therefore, when you go there, there's less surprises. That's why people are going there. It's not necessarily because of technology. It's because of the trust and whether that experience actually follows through and drives that satisfaction. And I feel like that's why people move where they move. The reason why athletes and celebrities and all those people used to be the influencers is because there was only like three distribution channels out there. There was radio, there was TV, and there was maybe theater. And that's where you could plug all those people. Now the distribution channels are so wide that you can have this when the rate rise of social now there's like those micro there's bigger influencers there's the rise of communities with like discord and slack channels and all this out the rise of but it's all like falling where the distribution channel and attention of people are going and i'm not saying any of those path things are dead i still think influencers on tv work i still think influencers on movies work i still think influencers of it's just that now it's becoming spread out because there's more places where those are. And that's why you need to, going back to what you said before, is, is you need to be in tune where your audience is actually hanging out because they're not hanging out on three distribution channels like 30 years ago where they're only watching TV or listening to radio or attending sports events. Like They're doing a lot more today because there's social and communities and all this stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, and you can even see that with diversity of interests, right? Like back in the day, at, at least in the UK, you, you would always assume that a, a young lad would love football. Whereas now there's so much attention is so all over the place, right? So that actually people have more choices and more options. Therefore, influences are spread out. So I always say that you should always, like, I think the term niche is often like given a bad rep. But I, I've always said that if you if your audience and most industries isn't just relevant to one percent of the global population, but if your product was that niche that was only relevant to one percent of the global population, you have eighty million potential customers. And if it was only uh, relevant to zero point one, <laughs> you have eight million people, right? And if you can get eight million people to convert on like ten dollars, that's a lot of money. So I think that people need to be more intentional about their niches, focus, going back to the whole ethos of focusing. Because what that does is, whilst you're focusing on 
that 80 million or that 8 million, if you're that small of a niche, and you're delighting them every single day and you're making them super excited every single day and you're getting them bought into your brand every single day, they will talk about you. And through just osmosis, you will be able to bring more people in. And what people try to do is say, oh, we're going to try to hit. And this is an often thing that people say, like brands, when you speak to them about like your target audiences, they say that we are for everybody. You cannot be for everybody. Not directly anyway. You have to be intentional about who you have in mind. And if you pick the right person, they will influence others. And that's the ripple effect that I feel. It's focus on the most raving fan buyer is at first. Once you've gained the raving fan buyer, then you can start going to the next part and the next part and the next part. But a lot of people, they when you do everybody, then nobody knows what to talk about your brand. Because you also got to think that your greatest ambassadors are your customers and your customers can say, your brand does X for X, then they're as confused and they're going to confuse potential customers. But like, if you could say, hey, these workout clothes are made for people who are gym rats like us, that's a way easier thing to sell than say, oh, these are the coolest workout clothes. I don't really know what they're for, but I think like you can go in the gym, maybe play football with them, maybe maybe go do gymnastics with them. Like if you have all the, if, if you said so broadly, then nobody, people will be confused, be, be like, but I can just go to Aloe because I'm I'm a yoga person and buy Aloe, why would I buy Gymshark stuff? But if you say like, it's for when you want to get your pump on in the gym, like then they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. This is what these clothes are for. Yeah, I mean, it starts off as, like workout clothes where you can get your pump up, like, like, like where you can show your pump, et cetera, to like those that do the work today so they can be better tomorrow, which now you're starting to tap into a, like a mentality and you're kind of seeing everybody without saying everybody. That's the same thing as think different. Everybody thinks different, but because you're using it in a way that actually focuses on the individual and through osmosis, therefore hitting the masses, you are therefore then for everybody. But you have to at least tap into an intentional psyche of the core audience that you're looking to appeal to. And and I always believe that actually, if you're a real brand and you're not just used from, from a convenience POV, then there are some people that are not your customer. You have to have people that are not your customer, right? Like I'm an Arsenal football fan. There's f- people support other teams as well, right? But then it means that the people that support your club actually love you. So you need to be super intentional about who you're looking to uh, bring on board. And, and I just feel like sometimes people spread that message way too thin. The world is full of watered down religions. And what that means is like, being an Arso fan is a watered down religion. Like you guys have the same beliefs, you have the same loves, you have the same, you all fighting for the same thing, but you need to have like some raving fans and principles for that religion to be working. It's same with community. You need to have 
a place where people have the same strong beliefs as yeah. what you're having. You need to die on strong beliefs. Otherwise, you're going to have beef for nobody and someone's going to go fight, become the Arsenal fan. Like You can't just say like, that's why for me when I was growing up, like people say, oh, are you like an NFL fan? And I'm like, yeah, I love NFL, but I never had really one team. So I never became like a raving NFL fan because I never had like a die hard, like ride or die one football team. But like I see people grow up with their family passes down. Like, like my dad was a fan of this and my now I'm a fan of this. And then my kid's going to be a fan of this. My best friend's a fan of this. And that it's just like a little... It's a passed down community religion of something. But I, that goes into a, a question I have for people on this pod is, what's a marketing hill you would die on? I'm a very big impact of an effort type person. Whilst I used to have like a crippling relationship with perfection, I think that the moment that I got over that was the moment that I felt most liberated as a creator. And that's when things started to happen because I feel like often than not, people are limited by false constraints and focus so much on the wrong things. And, and I actually feel that perfection is a destructor of true creativity and community building because it forms as a barrier. It's almost like, you know, when you go to like a fast food restaurant and they show you the pictures of what the burgers and stuff look like, and then you get it, it's not really like that. Well, that's what I feel like a lot of brands are doing is that they focus so much on how the content and the brand looks on them and not actually what it means to the consumer. And I just feel like it's a fundamental barrier. And I feel like most marketeers, the controversial hill I'll die on is that most marketeers care more about themselves than they actually care about their audience. And I 100% believe that. The one thing I've learned about creating content and over the years is you just have to put things out there and let the audience decide because the most random things your audience will like. And if you if you want to do something that's so polished to you, I also say a lot of people, listen, one thing I advice I give to creators all the time is most marketers are writing a personal journal and they're not writing something for their audience. And if you if you flip that perspective of, you could still write a personal journal if your audience cares about what you're, is in that journal. Yeah. But if your audience is not caring about those thoughts, that's why when people come and ask me, why is my content performing? Maybe you have to flip it around and say, like, does my audience actually care about what I'm doing? Or am I writing this in a way that the audience can consume what I'm trying to say? Or maybe the audience I'm trying to purvey this is... 10 to 20 people, which is fine too. Like the analogy of going to a small meetup with your friend versus going to a stadium. Sometimes your content's meant for that small meetup and sometimes that content is meant for a keynote. There's different perspectives, but you got to know if you're trying to go capture more eyeballs, then you have to do things to capture more eyeballs. If you're trying to capture less eyeballs, you have to do things of very niche audience, you got to do things that are very niche. And people forget about that when they're creating content. I feel like the bigger the audience you want to approach, the further away from yourself you actually get, right? Somebody, uh, they actually ended up working in my team. Her name was Lydia. 
one thing that she said in an interview was that like marketing is like dating. If you spend 80% of the time speaking about yourself, you're less likely to get a second date. And I think a lot of marketeers, what they do is they say, this is who we are. This is why we're great. This is what we do. And this is why you should love us. That's a terrible date, <laughs> right? Like, 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 like you didn't even ask them, like, how's their journey? What are they into? All that stuff. And what most brands are being, and I'm going to change my, my statement to most brands are terrible dates that are never going to get a second date. And it's the brands that actually use the scale and the tools that we have right now to listen better and therefore better serve and not necessarily just repeating what the audience is saying, but actually delivering the almost like unsaid or often ignored uh, value and pain points that they're trying to like say to people. The, the brands that do that better than anybody, those are the ones that people end up loving it because they just get it. And what it means is that they listen. And I feel like we're just in a very like talking and yelling culture right now. And there's not a lot, there's not enough listeners. One of the best compliments I got the other day is I went to this dinner with a bunch of friends and I just like sat there and didn't like talk the whole time. Yeah. Um, And I talked a little bit, I interjected a little bit, but afterwards someone came up to me and was like, I recalled the whole conversation. Like they were saying, this, 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 this. And I was, they were like, well, you just sat there and observed and listened the whole time and you got all that detail. I think a lot of people are trying to say something before they, instead of listening, they all they're doing is trying to think of their next thought instead of like actually digesting what people are trying to say to them. So, Oh, oh you're 100% right. Like, and I'm just going to put my hands up. I was that, right? Because... I think that especially in marketing, where, where people are in constant sales mode all the time, it's like it doesn't switch off. And they feel sometimes that you always need to get some form of validation, either from your audience. Our, our, our role, going back to the fact that the core goal of what we're looking to achieve is attention. So therefore, the underlining need that drives that is validation. So we're constantly chasing validation and constantly speaking so like when we get the attention, we make the most of it. But people forget that uh, the superpower that exists is how well you listen. Because then you're not like burning yourself out, trying to like say one thing that might land. You're actually being a lot more tactical and more efficient about when you speak. You speak to add value, not just for the sake of speaking and not just because of that underlining validation to be liked. And I, I just fundamentally believe that brands that listen more and actually focus their efforts from a marketing standpoint on delivering action as opposed to just saying stuff are the ones that end up becoming culture's favorite brands. Yeah, they speak when they, they should be speaking and they listen 90% of the time. That's why everybody shouldn't jump on every trend. Everybody shouldn't jump on every other thing. Jump on things where you need to, where your voice can add to the conversation, not, or add something to someone's day, not just because you have something cool to say. Well, you think you have something cool to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. People think they have something cool to say. Um, last thing I have for you is where could people 
find you. This has been a great conversation, and I want people to be able to find where they could find Butterfly Effect. You follow you. I know on LinkedIn he's crushing it. You should see he posts some cool cool stuff there. But where could other places people can find you? Yeah, so obviously I'm Alfred Zamba on all platforms. So I'm now on TikTok. So I've been talking about TikTok all the time, but I'm there now. So for the longest time, I didn't do a lot of video. And I think I've done like three podcast videos with you that you've probably been like 30% of all my video-based content. So, so that just shows how much of a special relationship we've got. But I'm across all platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, as Alfred Samba and Butterfly Effect uh, can be found on LinkedIn and on butterflyeffect.io. So it's effect with a three, uh, uh, we're, we're B3. Uh, fun fact, if you put B and three together, capital B, capital N and a three, it looks like a butterfly. But that's who we are. And uh, honestly, like I enjoy talking so much, like mid throughout this whole segment, I was thinking we should probably do this as a regular thing. Yeah, this has been so great. I think we have great ideas bouncing off each other and try to make this com- conversation like what me and Alfred would talk about over coffee. So this is great. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Alfred for coming on. Go follow him. He's doing some cool stuff. Thank you for joining. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.